0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 4, verse, starting with verse 43 to verse 54. And if you don't have your Bibles, of course, you can use the overheads. Welcome everyone to Sonship, another Sunday. After two days... We live in a day and age and a culture where people are really consumed with the miraculous. People want to see miracles. And many churches are giving people what they want. To, what they want. Signs, wonders, miracles, healings, and a large display of the supernatural events. I personally wonder how many of them are authentic. For many years, I have personally have been exposed to these kinds of church services where it was about miracles, healings, and prophecy and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I myself was caught up in these kind of church services. I remember after Christ saved me, I invited a friend to a church where a visiting faith healer was invited to speak and to pray for the sick and heal them. And I wanted this friend... So this I was a brand new Christian, and I wanted this friend to see the miraculous. I wanted them to know that this was true. Christianity was true, only to go home disappointed and embarrassed because nothing really happened. My faith then was genuine, but it was shallow. My faith needed to grow. I needed to take Christ at His word and not depend on seeing a miracle. Now God is a miracle-working God, and we should never deny that. He created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. Ex nihilo, that's what the theologians say, it's a Latin term meaning out of nothing. God spoke, and the worlds came into existence. He created man from the dust of the earth, and He breathed life into him. And in the New Testament we see Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, and so on and so forth. So we can't, nor should we, deny miracles. We shouldn't. And they do happen. God is a miracle-working God. However, seeing a miracle, sign, or wonder does not necessarily lead to genuine faith in Christ. We read in Luke's Gospel of Jesus telling the story of a rich man who was in hell. Jesus told uh, many theologians, say this was a parable. Some say it was not, because Jesus used real names Now whether it was a parable or a story I don't think makes a... or a real story, it doesn't really make a difference. The point was heard. And when the rich man died, and the poor man that used to sit under Lazarus' table, just eating the crumbs that fell from his table, the rich man went to hell, and and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. Paradise, heaven. And in torment... The rich man cried out, Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and and cool my tongue, for I am in torment in these flames. And Abraham told him, we can't. There's a big chasm that separates you from us. And he said, remember, in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus bad things. And now the opposite is happening. And he said, okay, then send Lazarus to my brothers and tell them about this place of torment so they don't have to come here. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, meaning the whole Old Testament scripture. Back then it was their Bible. They have the Word of God. If they don't listen to the very Word of God, neither will they listen to anyone who rises from the dead. So a display of supernatural event does not necessarily lead to faith in Christ. What is God looking for in people? What is God looking for in people? What is He looking for for you and me? He's looking for people to believe Him. Now you might say, well, John, I know that stuff already. I'm I'm a Christian X amount of years We all need to grow in faith. We all need to grow in the dependence on the Word of God. Don't ever say, I've arrived. Because when you say you have arrived, then you're really saying, I don't know much. We need to put our faith in Christ's Word and not miracles, signs, and wonders. And I'm not diminishing miracles, signs, and wonders. Because in the Gospel of John, he gave eight signs. And some actually did, well led to faith in Christ through those signs. But demanding the miracles is the very opposite of having faith. And John's gospel is primarily about believing the word, about the gospel of belief. He wrote his gospel so his readers may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and by believing they may have life in his name. Believe appears nearly a hundred times in John's Gospel. Nearly a hundred times. I think it's 98 to be exact. And the majority of it means to believe, which leads to salvation. Through believing in Christ, people possess eternal life. They become children of God. They avoid judgment. They partake in the resurrection of life. They possess the indwelling Holy Spirit. They're delivered from spiritual darkness and find empowerment for spiritual service by believing His Word. The complete opposite is true of unbelief. Unbelief is damning, and sends a person to eternal hell. Revelation twenty one eight. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, and faithless—in some versions it has the unbelieving. As but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's amazing that he puts unbelief in the same category as murderers. That he puts unbelief in the same category as liars, as adulterers. And this is the condition of every person until they believe. John 3.18, before we read that, many people... Think they believe their whole lives. I, I, you know, I, sometimes I meet Christians and they say, "Oh, I, I've always believed my whole life." No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You, you may have had a, 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 a certain belief that Christ existed and that he, he and and the, you believed in the death and the resurrection of Christ in intellectual belief, but you never had a heart belief. There's a point in time where you believe with your heart. No one is born a Christian. No one. No one is born truly believing. The the way the Bible describes believing. John 3.18, he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So believing happens at a point in time... for me, it happened 35 years ago. This September will be 35 years. And in our text tonight, we read of a royal official whose faith seemed weak and superficial at first, depending on miracles, but went to believing Jesus at His word. And that's what God wants us to be tonight, all of us. He wants us to get to a point from point A to point B. Even if we're believers in Christ, He wants us to excel in believing and trusting in His word. Not our feelings and not what's going on in the world as, as Patty prayed tonight. And as Patty read that passage from Proverbs. It's an appropriate passage for tonight's message. We need to believe Jesus at His Word. There are three things we're going to look at in this text tonight. Superficial and shallow faith. Growing faith. And faith rewarded. There's three things we're going to look at tonight. The first one is superficial and shallow faith. In verse 43 of John chapter 4 It says after two days he departed for Galilee. Previously Jesus was in the city of Samaria called Sychar. It was a town in Samaria where he had this wonderful encounter with a sinful Samaritan woman. Of course, if you've been coming to Sonship, that's what I preached on the last four times I spoke. The, The sinful Samaritan woman. And after speaking with her and offering her salvation, in her excitement, what did she do? She went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She was very excited about someone who really knew her life and offered her eternal life and to shorten the story after she told the people the people in turn declared Jesus is the savior of the world we now believe that he is the savior of the world not because of what you say Samaritan woman but because we heard the word of God ourselves and this of course foreshadowed the gospel which would go to the Samaritans and the Gentiles in John's gospel the fourth chapter there's like a parenthesis and you know you see Jesus where, where, who did he come to first? He came to the Jews. He came to give the gospel to the Jews first. And there's a little interlude there where he gives the gospel to the Samaritans which foreshadowed the gospels that would eventually go to the Samaritans and the Gentiles. However, the gospel must go to the nation of Israel first. So after saying two days in Samaria, Jesus resumes his journey to Galilee. And John, said, John says something very, very interesting In the next verse, verse 45, he says, So when he came, I'm sorry, verse 44, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And then in verse 45 he says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, even, where was his hometown? We, was it in Bethlehem, where he was born? He was, in, he was born in Bethlehem, Judea. But yet he grew up in Nazareth, in Galilee. I mean, the scriptures tell us that over and over. So what is John saying? Is John contradicting himself? If Galilee is his hometown, and a prophet is not welcomed in his own hometown, is rejected in his own hometown... Why would the Galileans welcome him? Why would John say the Galileans welcomed him? And why would he go back to Galilee if he was going to be rejected? And the theologians are still debating this, probably to this day. You, you read 15 commentaries and you'll have 15 different opinions on these two verses. But I think I'll make the point very simple. Two things. First, I believe John was giving a contrast. The Samaritans who were despised by the Jews received Jesus as the Messiah, but his own people rejected him. That's the first thing. But you might say, but the Galileans didn't reject him. Look, it says, verse 45, they welcomed him, which leads me to the second thing. The second thing is, even though the Galileans welcomed Jesus, and they did, they welcomed him because he made an impression on them by the miracles they saw him do. Remember, he was in Cana now. Remember the first miracle? The wedding at Cana. The water turning into wine. And, he, and, they, and they saw the miracles in Judea. And, the, and, and, the, and when Jesus drove the, 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 the marketplace, He drove the Jews out of the temple. So they saw all His miracles. Let's read verse 45 again. So when He came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed Him Now here's the key. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. They saw him do miracles. They were actually spiritually inferior to the Samaritans because the Samaritans didn't see signs, wonders or miracles but believed Jesus for his word. The Galileans' reception of Jesus was actually superficial and shallow. So there's a very good possibility that when John said verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans, Galileans welcomed him, he said that with sarcasm. And many scholars believe that John said that with sarcasm. See, the problem is, we can't hear how Jesus said that. We could just read the words, but as we read the context, we can assume that Jesus, John said that with sarcasm. Yeah, they welcomed him because they saw what he did. They saw his miracles. So it was a superficial welcome. And starting with verse 46, we start the main body of this text which is an example of superficial and shallow faith which turns into genuine faith. It's a kind of a bad story that turns good. And this is where Jesus did His first sign, the changing of water into wine. Verse 46. So He came again to Cana in Galilee, where He made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. Now obviously many of the Galileans saw the first miracle, as I said before, and yet instead of truly believing in Him because of His undeniable supernatural powers... They really wanted to see more miracles. That's why they welcomed him. They wanted to see more miracles. The news that Jesus was in Galilee spread to Capernaum, which was about 20 miles from there. And verse 47 tells us that a man who was an official went down to see Jesus and pleaded with him to heal his son who was about to die. Pleaded with him. The man was a royal official. He was probably a... a a royal official for Herod Antipas, who at that time was a governor of Galilee, a wealthy man, who obviously had the means to, to bring the best musicians, uh, physicians to his son to heal him, but to no avail. Nothing worked. So desperation set in this man and now he pleads with Jesus to come and heal the son. And verse 49 reveals his continuously pleading with Jesus. Please come and heal my son. Come and heal my son. And our Lord's reply to him seems kind of harsh and abrupt. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. At best, this man's faith was imperfect needed to grow and what seems harsh and unsympathetic was actually filled with grace you might look at that verse and say come on Jesus this man's son is dying and he's asking you to heal him you've healed a lot of people he's just asking you to heal him and you're telling him unless you see a sign and wonder you will not believe come on Jesus no it's actually filled with grace and you'll see why as we get into the message tonight First of all, when Jesus said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe, was He just speaking to the royal official? No. He was speaking to the Galileans too. Because the word see, there's no you. The word you see, you is not in the original Greek, it's just see, and it's plural. The you is implied. It's plural. So He was speaking to all of them. He was addressing all of them. The royal official came and asked him, heal my son, but he addressed the whole crowd, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He was addressing well, he was rebuking them, for their lack of genuine faith. He was rebuking them, seeing him as a miracle worker only. He was rebuking them, because they were miracle sign and wonder seekers. He was rebuking them, for not taking him at his word. But even in his rebuke, there was grace and mercy. That's what I love about the Lord. When the Lord is disciplining us, there's mercy and grace in that. I love when, you know, I know I've sinned and and I've asked for forgiveness, and the Lord is filling me with His grace and mercy. Even in His rebuke, there's grace and mercy. For Jesus' words would bring this man and all the crowd who would listen to Him to new levels of faith. That's what He wanted. And that's just exactly what happened. But now he has to test his faith. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He loved his son deeply, as any parent can understand. And after a stern rebuke, the compassionate, gracious, merciful high priest, Jesus, grants his request, but only partially. He only granted his request partially. Listen to the first half of verse 50. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. What did the man say? He said, come down. He wanted him to come back to Capernaum with him. Jesus only answered half of it. And there's a reason why he answered half of it. Because Jesus granted his request to heal his dying son. However, he did not go with them because he didn't need to be present, number one. As he said, go, your son will live. 20 miles away, as he was speaking that his son was being healed. He's the omniscient God. He's the omnipotent God, the all-powerful God. But plus, and I think more importantly, he wouldn't have the opportunity to take Jesus at his word. All it would have been for the royal official was another sign and wonder. He wanted to raise this nobleman, this royal official, he wanted to raise his faith to a new level. I remember when I first became a Christian, I remember driving to work, I was going on my way to Kennedy Airport, and I remember just feeling overwhelmed with joy. I mean, I can't can't even stand here and really explain to you the extreme happiness and, and joy that used to come over me every now and then. And then it stopped. It just stopped. And I remember talking to a friend who was older than me in the Lord and spiritually wiser than me. And I said, why did this stop? I, couldn't un- not, I could not understand it, why it stopped and why would God deprive me of something that was so beautiful. And she said something very profound that I never forgot. She said, you learn to live by faith. He gave the royal official no sign. But something grand happened in this man's heart. Something changed. His unbelief was conquered at that moment. Jesus rebuked changed the level of this man's superficial and shallow faith to genuine faith, taking Christ at his word. Verse 50 says, The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus didn't go with him, but he took Christ at his word. He no longer needed signs and wonders, but his faith was in Jesus' word alone. And that's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for us to take him at his word. We live in a day and age as I said before, where people want feelings, and people want signs, and people want wonders, and people want this, and people want that, that, and they want goosebumps, and they want Jesus said, take me at my word. And in verses 51 through 53 we see the man's faith rewarded. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he believed in all his household. When Jesus spoke to this man and said, Go, your son will live, he didn't plead with him anymore. And he said, and and, and say, No, Jesus, you must come on me. Just give me a little sign so I know it's true. No, he took Jesus at his word. And this genuine faith was rewarded with not only him, with only his salvation, but his whole household believed. By the way, the man didn't rush to go home after Jesus said, Go, your son will live. He didn't rush to go home. He could have actually been home by the time his servants came and met him. And you could see that his faith was alive now. You could see that he took Jesus at his word, because now, when he was desperately pleading, he was now relaxed. And he walked. And his servants met him. And they said, your son lives. And he said, what, what, what's, what's the hour? And it was the exact hour that Jesus said, your son will live. Some commentators believe he could have been home much sooner, but the new faith in Christ led him to be anxiety free, and so he took his time going home. But there was something greater going on here than the physical healing. Something even greater. It was the father's spiritual healing by the great physician. He didn't only heal his son, but the father. The father was healed spiritually. His faith grew to a new level. A level now that says, I'm trusting you. How many times did I meet people that tell me, over and over again I meet people that tell me I believe in Jesus when you talk about your Christianity I believe in Jesus I believe in Jesus I believe I've heard that a billion times and yet their life has not changed you know what believe really means it doesn't mean an intellectual assent like I'm believing Oh, the person the historical person Jesus really lived The historical person, maybe you even believe that he suffered and died on the cross. No, it's not an intellectual assent. That's what religion does. Intellectually, you you can uh, acknowledge Christ. True, genuine biblical belief is a trust, a dependence, a clinging to Verse 54 says this was the second of eight signs recorded in John's Gospel. And the reason John gave signs were not so people could seek him for what he can do, but to reveal who he really was since they show God at work. John 10, 37 and 38. And this is why I say we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If I am not doing the words, the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them... Even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Now I want to say this. <clears throat> in relationship to miracles back then and miracles today, I'm, a more, I'm a more of a conservative, and we over here at Sonship, are more of a conservative persuasion. Now, we believe in miracles, we believe in God can do miracles, but we believe... Back then, and I'm not going to go into the whole history of miracles, you know, with Moses and Elijah, and, and then um, the, the, uh, Christ and the apostles. I believe miracles can still happen today, but I believe we have the completed Word of God. Back then they didn't. And we have much more of a revelation of the completed Word of God. And I believe in countries that don't really have the completed Word of God miracles and signs and wonders are more apt to happen over there than, than maybe in America who's saturated with the, uh, you know, with the Word of God. And, and that's why I said in the beginning, I don't know how many of these, you turn on TV and there's always miracle signs. I, I mean, I don't know how many are authentic. I really don't. I remember one time there was a church service and someone claimed that... They were going to get gold teeth. This was part of the miracle that this man was truly from God. People were going to get gold teeth, and, uh, and I don't mind saying, our oh, sister Terry went over. and Someone said, "I got a gold tooth. I got a gold tooth." And Sister Terry is wonderful. She's, you know, she doesn't let anybody get away with anything, if you know. Her. She's my sister-in-law, so I can tell you, you know, when I married Kim, I married Terry too, and I, I get away with nothing. But um, so Terry went over and said, "Let me see." <laughs> and the person opened their mouth and she said, it's right there, it's right there and Terry said, I don't see anything <laughs> I see nothing she goes, you're not looking, it's right there and she said, I see nothing, it's no, I don't see any gall tooth and the person got flustered and walked away you know, I mean, listen, when Jesus did a miracle there was no doubt when Jesus did a healing, there was no doubt if a person had no leg, there was a leg. You saw it in front of your your eyes. You know, uh, when Brian and Terry went on a missionary trip to Bulgaria, they actually saw an authentic healing. Don't, don't forget, those people that over there don't really have the Word of God like we have. And there was an authentic healing. I think it was a either a deaf man or a blind man. I think it was a blind man. When they prayed for him, he was able to see. I mean, the guy was genuinely blind. Everybody knew it, and he was able to see. So in these countries where they don't really have the word of God, they don't have the gospel like we have, you're more apt to see a miracle or a sign or a wonder. But in America, listen, if we don't believe Moses and the prophets and Christ and the apostles, we're not going to believe if somebody comes back from the dead. And I should get an amen for that. Anyway, once again, signs and wonders and miracles do not necessarily convince people to believe. Remember the first sign in Cana, when Jesus turned the water into wine? Well, when Jesus left there, guess who left with Him? The disciples. Nobody else left with Him. He just did a great sign. He turned water into wine. How come only the disciples that He went with left with Him? So... I think you could understand the point. Many saw signs and had superficially and shallow belief but missed what the sign pointed to. And the sign, when Christ did any of the eight signs in John, they pointed to Christ, the Messiah. It's no different for us today. God wants us to believe Him at His word. What What did Jesus tell Thomas after He was resurrected and first appeared to the disciples without Thomas present? But when the the second time he appeared and Thomas was there, what did he say? He told Thomas in the 20th chapter of John, basically, he said, you believe because you saw. Because Thomas touched the scars in his hand, his side, and he believed. He said, my Lord and my God. He said, you believe, Thomas, because you saw. He said, but blessed are those who have not seen but yet believe. I'm going to give you an illustration of what real faith is like. What taking God in His Word is like. My cousin was a pilot. And he used to take me up flying in this little Cessna. I I couldn't do that today, but back then I was crazy, I was young. And he took me a flying in this four-seated Cessna, and I remember flying, and I used to love it. I mean, it was just great. we fly out of uh, some airport in Long Island, and I would be sitting in the co-pilot seat, and he'd be sitting in the pilot seat. And once, once we were up there, and he let me take over, and he said, all right, he's, he's, he's instructing me. He's telling me, okay, now, it's the yoke. It's not a steering wheel, but it's called a yoke. He said, turn the yoke to the right, just very slightly. And I turned it to the right, and the plane started rolling and he said turn it to the left and I turned it to the left and started rolling to the left and I, and I said "I pull it, pull it back and I pulled it back and the plane started climbing and then he said "I push it in and you push it in it, and then it started descending it was like balancing on the head of a pin really and it was very, very exciting and I remember tell, him telling me a story about pilots that have to take this, take this certain test uh, I forget what the test was for this is many many years ago um, maybe it was for commercial pilot uh, license, but anyway, the kind of test they had to take was they kind of covered all the windows, and they had to fly solely relying on the instruments. Okay, now that's enough to tell me I'm out of here. I mean that forget, flying without seeing anything but relying on the instrument panel. So, now you could be in a storm with there's a lot of fog and the visibility is very low and now you're, you're flying towards the right but you feel like you're going towards the left. Now you're flying upside down you feel like you're right side up. Your, your senses are all, your equilibrium is all off, your sense of direction is out the window. You have to rely on the instruments. And even though the pilot feels one way and the instruments tell him something different, if he goes by his feelings of sight, he will crash. So he had to rely on the instruments. And we must rely on the Word of God and not our feelings. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. A true, genuine faith is the only way to please God. In Hebrews eleven one, very familiar passage of Scripture says, "Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what not seen." Faith is depending on God's word. And, and we're we're you know all are we interested in Jesus? What what we can attain from Him. We, listen, we have the greatest signs and wonders right in our midst. Every time we see a people come to faith in Christ, that is the greatest sign. Yes. I mean, seeing a life changed. I remember when I first became a Christian, I'm using me as an example tonight. My sister, after three weeks, she looked at me, and I didn't even notice the difference, but she did. She said, you're changing. And I was. Christ was changing me. That was a miracle. Salvation, changed lives, is a miracle. And we have the Bible, which is unlike any other book that has ever existed. It survives through people persecuting it and trying to destroy it. The point, One of the points here is faith grows. And the only way you're going to let it grow is when you go through times of trouble, you've got to depend on the Word of God. Just like the pilot has to depend on his His instrument panel. you have to depend on the Word of God. We need to believe and act upon His Word. Let me conclude with a quote from Dr. Kent Hughes. Each one of us has opportunities to grow in faith as we find ourselves in difficult circumstances. In those trials, if we will turn to the Word of God, it will speak to us. And if we believe and act upon it, we will grow in faith. The Word of God is sufficient. For it contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. Let's trust in His Word more. Let's pray. And Father, we thank You that You saw fit to give us Your Word. And You put us in this day and age and You didn't let us see Jesus physically as some of them did in the first century. But you said, I'm giving you my word. And you said, trust in what I say. Help us, God, to trust in your very word. When scripture speaks, Lord, you speak. Help us to believe that. Help us to overcome the unbelief That these are just words, but these are words that you spoke, Lord. So we thank you, God. My prayer for my brothers and sisters and myself, Lord, is that we grow in faith in Christ's precious name. Amen.